Okay, good evening, everybody. A special welcome to Sam and Lawrence joining us for the first time. Nice to have you with us. Uh, there is some confusion regarding this particular shear. We do have once a year or so what we call the State of the Community Address, where we focus more on the community, some of the progress that's been made, the vision, the, uh, the hope for the future. That is not what this is. Mitch Hashem will have that uh, in its time and its place. This is more of a, a broad-range conversation, a discussion regarding some of the guiding principles. What is a Jewish community? Now, the answer seems to be fairly straightforward. It's a place where a lot of Jews happen to live together. Hence, you have a Jewish community. But, Mitz Hashem, this evening we're going to explore... Uh, there is a lot more behind the, the hashkafa, the philosophy of what actually makes a group of Jews into a tzibur, into a Jewish community. At this time of year, generally, I receive phone calls, people looking to relocate from different places in the United States. And more than ever, as you can imagine, this has been on the front burner for so many people. If it's wanting to leave New York or New Jersey or elsewhere, uh, people realize now they could work remotely. It's possible to keep their jobs and still live in a warmer climate. So I've had many conversations over the last month or two with individuals, couples, families, and the conversation comes up over and over again. What exactly is a community? The question that I like to ask anyone who's potentially interested in coming to our community is what are you looking for? And Baruch Hashem, we have so many different options even within South Florida, within Boca. What's on your mind? What's your picture of a Jewish community? Throughout the, uh, the centuries, people have had this ideal of creating a utopia a place where we can just orchestrate everything perfectly to cater to the needs and the desires of all who are present and to make this wonderful environment where people can thrive financially and psychologically and perhaps even spiritually. We're going to see that in Judaism we do not believe in a utopia. Utopias are bound to fail for one very simple reason. The premise is faulty. The premise of coming together and assuming we're going to build a society that will give us the most pleasure and comfort possible means that we have a very selfish perspective on what we're trying to build. If I'm looking inward, if I'm trying to ascertain what I need, what I want, the likelihood of all of us coming together with our own needs and our own desires, creating a society that's truly a utopia, that we're all going to feel good and thrive, it hasn't happened yet. And we're not going to start it now. We don't believe in utopia. The goal of coming together and creating a tzibur, a Jewish community, is not about comfort, it's not about convenience, and it's not even about the feel-good connection that hopefully is generated within a tzibur. But it's something much deeper much more powerful. The Gemara tells us in Brachos that Abaye writes, 
One should always include himself together with the community. And this is regarding tefillah. Everything we pray for, it's not in the singular, but it's always in the plural. Not Beloshan Yochid, but Beloshan Rabim. What does this do? When I'm davening to Hashem, the fact that we're using a plural language, I'm incorporating everyone else around me. So Rashi says, If we daven with the focus that I'm not just speaking about me or for me, but I'm talking about all of us together, then because of this, my tefillah will be answered. It's a different force, it's a different intensity, it's a different power in the tefillah. So what changes? Lashen Yochid, Lashen Rabim, if it's singular, if it's plural. So Chaim Shmulevit says, to explain this Gemara, but by doing so, he really gives us an insight into the, the working definition of a tzibur, of a community. He says, people make the mistake and assume that a tzibur is a group of guys or women or families getting together. He says, the truth is, a tzibur is something that's greater than the sum of its parts. The, the language of Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. He says, Iker in yinzehu chadasha. A real community is like a new reality. It's not just a, a gathering of, of individuals. But it's a metzias chadasha, it's a new reality, it's a new force. There's something that, that's yesh and that's created, that wasn't here before. And the example that he cites is you might have many little twigs. And each twig, you could just break it in half easily. If you bundle all of the twigs together into something this big and tie it, and it's tight, try to break that bundle. You can't. Because at Sibor, this connection creates a strength, it creates an identity that, that we as individuals can't do, even if we're individuals that happen to be together. So you could have two places that look the exact same on the map. The bird's eye view, they're both a location where many Jewish people live, and we have a shul, and a mikvah, and a kolel, and yeshiva. One could be a community. One could have the status of a tzibor, and one could be a group of Jews. Not a bad thing, but it's a very different result based on how we perceive our connection with each other and how we perceive our purpose of being here together. The highest level that we strive for is kedusha. We speak about holiness or sanctity in the home, the kedusha in the base kinesis, the Zohar gives the example of a young man trying to clear out part of the forest to build a home. And uh, he's standing there chopping away trees and branches and working hours and days and accomplishing, come on, nothing. Someone goes over to him and explains, if you really want to clear the forest, put down the axe. I have something much more powerful. He takes out a matchbox, lights one match, this is before Smokey the Bear, and he flicks it, and the whole forest goes up in flames. You want to clear the forest, don't hack away at every single tree, 
just burn the whole thing. Says the Zohar, that's the analogy we can picture when it comes to Kedusha. There's only so much we could accomplish if we're not actually striving for holiness. We're not working towards a real dvekis, a real connection with Hashem. If we're living in this, this narrow world of the here and now without seeing the broader picture, we're just chopping each individual tree, not accomplishing that much. If you have a fire, you have something that could come ablaze and light up the entire forest, now we're talking. Kedusha, though, can only be acquired when we're working together as a community. Kedusha is not something that could actually be achieved when alone. Which is almost counterintuitive because we would assume the idea of isolation, of solitude, of hisbodedus, of contemplation. There's so much we gain from that experience and we're going to momentarily see more on that. But to really acquire Kedusha, to get ourselves to that higher madrega of real avodas Hashem, that higher level of really serving Hashem with passion, that we need each other for. We cannot do that alone. The Chassam Sofa writes that in the beginning of Parshas Kedoshim, we know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe, Daber el kol adas b'nei Yisrael, speak to the entire Jewish people and tell them, I'm giving you a new instruction, Kedoshim to you, you have to be holy. Right? Try to elevate yourselves. But it's el kol adas b'nei Yisrael, you have to tell this to everybody. Explains the Chassam Sofer, that although part of Kedusha is precious, is being able to separate from the world. I'm not, I'm not indulging in the physical. I'm not dependent on external pleasures. I, I find my, my, my comfort and my security with Hashem internally. Although that's part of Kedusha. But make sure to speak to Kol Adas B'nai Yisrael. That in order to really acquire holiness, we need to be together. In the words of the Chassam Sofer, that a person should not think that he'll go to a place, to the Midboros, to the Yarim, to the forests, or to the, the deserts, and there he'll, he'll sit in meditation for days or for years, totally in isolation with the rest of civilization, and he'll contemplate and, and he'll be inspired by the, the miracle of existence. That's not what Hashem wants from you. And the Ratzon Hashem, what is the will of God? Leos Ohevis Habrios, it's to develop relationships, to have the struggles and the conflicts that we all go through within a family, within a shul, within a yeshiva, within any kind of communal context. But to work through all of those struggles and to create a chibur, a real connection. To be able to inspire others, to teach others, not even through what we say, but through how we live. And to learn from others as well. That's what a tzibur is, that's what a community can do. The will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, we need to love people. We need to be around people. That makes life a little bit more challenging, sometimes more frustrating. 
But it's only through that dynamic of being together and, and creating a chibor, creating that real connection, can we achieve kedoshim to you. And therefore, daber el kol adas Yisrael. This is something the entire Jewish people have to be made aware of. The only way to actually become a holy person is to be a community person. You can't achieve this in isolation. You can't become holy by yourself. So the question that I'd like to focus on briefly is how do we transform a group of people, a group of individuals, into a tzibur, into a community? How does that work? And I think the first step is through having a shared vision. When we have the same basic goal that we're working towards, that shared vision has the power to transform a group of individuals into a community. There's a famous quote that I've said before, that if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men and women to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea, which in community context means if you're trying to create a seaboard, you're trying to transcend and rise above just a group of people who happen to live in close proximity. It's not about giving orders, giving instructions, uh, giving a list of policies that, that need to be followed. It's about creating that real vision, that yearning for the vast deep blue sea. Or in the community context, the vision of the community. If we all share that same goal and we're working together, then we're not living in isolation within a group, but we're brothers, we're sisters, we're shutfim, we're partners. So what is the vision of a Jewish community? Now, obviously, every community, depending on place and culture, uh, everything's different. Everyone has their own flavor, their own colors, their own vibe, their energy. But to understand, if you were to peel away all of those layers that makes us all unique, what is the core vision of a Jewish community? <coughs> Rosh Hashanah Rafael Hirsch, one of the great defenders of Judaism in the 19th century living in Germany, <coughs> he was of the opinion that every Jewish community is really a microcosm of the Jewish nation. And he writes, just as Torah is the sole unifying, unifying force of the Jewish people, so must it also be the bond which unites each community. Every Jewish individual is not only required to take an active role in the community, but only by being part of a community can the individual fulfill his role as a Jew and find his true meaning and purpose in life. Now, this doesn't mean we all have to be involved with moving tables or getting set up for Kiddush. We all have to find the area in which we feel comfortable using our unique talents to contribute. But Rav Hirsch is telling us to thrive as an individual, to expand our horizons as Yechidim, we need to be part of the Tzibur. We need to be part of the community. And because the community is really a microcosm of the Jewish people as a whole, then logic would dictate taking the mission of the Jewish people as a whole and translating that into a community would give us our answer 
as to what is the goal of a Jewish community. The, jo- the goal of a Jewish community is the goal of Klal Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us that through accepting the Torah, you will be Mamleches Kohanim, a nation of priests, Vagoy Kadosh, and a holy uplifted people. What does that mean to be a nation of priests? We're not all Kohanim. So the Sforno explains, Mamleches Kohanim means that we have a role within humanity of being teachers. To be able to understand and to teach to all humanity, not just the Jewish people, but to call in the name of Hashem, to gather together as a unified brotherhood of man, to come closer to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Mamleches Kohanim v'Goy Kadosh, the goal of the Jewish people is to be a role model, is to be a teacher for all humanity. Now, that doesn't mean directly we have to go out and live in Uganda and Ethiopia and, and be teaching people hands-on. That's beyond the scope of our duty. But clearly, what we see from the Svorno is that the job description of Klal Yisrael, our directive as a nation, is having a sense of responsibility, not just for the entire nation, but for all humanity. The purpose of Klal Yisrael is achrayis, is responsibility to uplift others. And when we translate that into a community context, that means no matter where we're living, no matter what dynamic we have, no matter what backgrounds we're coming from, the, the, the job description of a Jewish community is achrayis, is a sense of responsibility to uplift others. There's one other place in the Torah we find that Moshe was commanded to speak to the entire Jewish people altogether. We had in Parshas Kedoshim, and we also have in the beginning of Parshas Vayakel. Vayakel Moshe as Koladas B'nai Yisrael again. Moshe gathers the entire Jewish people. And Rashi points out that don't think Moshe was actually going around and taking people be a dayim with his hands. Rather, explains Rashi, They came by themselves based on the dibur, based on the speech, based on the message of Moshe Rabbeinu. He didn't go around grabbing people, but they came by themselves. Now, when you read the Rashi and analyze it, it sounds like a very strange thing for Rashi to be telling us. Who would have possibly thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was actually going around, knocking on people's door, grabbing them and pulling them? Come, come guys, get out of bed. We have to gather for my next speech. Of course he's not grabbing people. Explains the, the Sad Mirov. Rashi's telling us one of the fundamental ideals in creating any form of tzibur. 
when we're having an asifa, we're having a gathering, it's not just to get bodies in the room. And then the, the words of the Sad Merov, it's not an asifa l'shem asifa. It's not about how many people we have here. What are our numbers? What are our stats? How many families do we have? Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't concerned about getting bodies in the room. Rather explains the Sad Merov, it was Alpi Diboro. Rashi's explaining that the gathering was, was important. It was significant because they came based on the speech, based on the message of Moshe, meaning to say, because they shared the same vision as Moshe. That's an asifa, that's a gathering, that's a community. We're working together because we have the same goal. Yeah, it's interesting, whenever you have a conversation, and people are asking about the community, wherever you may live in the world, usually the first question, or the second question is, oh, how many families are there? How many people do you have on a, on a Shabbos morning? Now, the reason why we're interested in this is because it does paint a picture. It gives us somewhat of a broad image of where do you live? Is it a small place? Is it a big place? Is it modern orthodox? Is it ultra-orthodox? What does it look like? But I think ultimately we fall into the trap of a sifa l'shema sifa, that we grant importance to numbers. Right? So many families. It's amazing. Is it amazing? It depends. Theoretically, we could have a larger gathering of people and have less of a tzibor, and have less of a community if we're not sharing the same vision, if we're not feeling a sense of partnership and brotherhood. So in the Torah perspective, a community is not just serving those who are living there. I have my shul. Where do you dive on Friday night? So Friday night, in the winter when it's freezing, assuming I live in a place where it's actually cold. It's funny, I was schmoozing today with someone who was visiting, and he said, it was, it's 40 degrees in Boca now. He said, I was outside just soaking up the weather, loving every moment of it, and I'm watching all of these Floridians walk by, bundled up with their scarves on, and they looked at me and they all said, you must be visiting from out of town. <laughs> Right? Only, only someone who lives in, in Brooklyn can appreciate 40 degrees in the winter. So he says, listen, Friday night I dive in uh, down the block, little uh, shtibul in someone's basement. Shabbos morning, I like to go that particular shul, unless there's a kiddush, then I go over here, they serve sushi. Uh, Shabbos mevorchim, though, I like to go over here. And what ends up happening, on one hand, that, that's, that's beautiful. So many options, so much variety, and depending on the personality, it could very well be, I need variety, I need options. But what could quickly happen is my, my spirituality becomes really almost a selfish pursuit of convenience, of what time works, where I like the food better, where I like the speech better. And then the, the foundation of community, that foundation of achrayas, of, of responsibility, of being part of a unit where the force of, of, this, of this whole is greater than the sum of its parts, 
It's not being created. I could have 14 different shuls to choose from on my block alone, but that's not a tzibor. That's a group of Jews. When we have a tzibor, when we have a community of people who don't have to be like-minded, right? The, the, it's not about being homogeneous and all looking and dressing and, and speaking the same way. But if we have a shared overall vision and commitment to each other and to the mission, what that can accomplish is almost supernatural. We have in the story of the Dor HaFloga, when Hashem is analyzing what's happening with the building of the Tower of, of Bovel, so Hashem says, Va'ata, if we don't do something right now, lo mehem They're not going to be stoppable. They're going to be so convinced and, and, and committed to their goal, we have to do something now and disperse them. Explains this forno. The reason they would not be stoppable is because they were working together. They were working together for the wrong goal. The whole thing was an exercise of futility. It was something that had to do with the Vodazara. They were swept away with, with the illusion of, of Sheker. But because they had that sense of unity, they were able to accomplish everything. That's why Hashem had to break apart the unity. The, the greatest blessing in any family, in a relationship in a community, is the blessing of shalom. Being able to live where, although we might have our different views, and they might be passionately different, and we could have robust debates and argue and sit around the Shabbos table, and it could be political things, it could be religious discussions. We could be very different personalities, but we could still share the blessing of shalom. How do you do that? How do you have that common thread where although we're so vastly different, we could still live in harmony? It's only if we have the same vision, the same purpose, the same fight that we're striving for. All right? People quote the beginning of Rashi. Rashi says when the Jewish people were gathered around the mountain about to receive the Torah, so Rashi explains the language of Ve'yichan Shom Yisrael Negedahar, that Ve'yichan is he encamped in the singular, teaching us Ke'ish Echad Echad. We were unified as one man with one heart. That's beautiful. Right? That was a prerequisite to receiving the Torah, is that there was Shlemus, there was a wholesome feeling of togetherness. But Rashi goes on, and he says, Avoshar Kol Chaniyos, but the implication here is, every other time we were stopped and camping out somewhere in the Midbar, there was bickering and there was fighting and they were, they were arguing with each other. The only time they had real peace is when they were standing at the foot of the mountain. We're talking about spiritually elevated individuals. People who were living and breathing the, 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 the miraculous world of the Midbar, being surrounded by the clouds of glory and, and fear, feeling that tangible spirituality daily. But, but we could still get into an argument, and we could still be lacking shalom. 
What was unique about standing at the mountain? Why did that experience somehow infuse the entire Kalal Yisrael, millions of men, women, and children, to be living in harmony? Because they were Neged Hahar. Because they were standing together, looking at the mountain with the same vision, the same goal. We're here to receive the Torah. Then there's Shalom. I don't have to look like you, I don't have to speak like you, I don't have to like the same things that you like. But if we share that, that, that common vision, then we create peace. I, I mentioned on Shabbos that there's a dream that's recorded in the Sefer Berchas Avram. The Berchas Avram was one of the contemporaries of the Beis Yosef. He lived in the 16th century. And he speaks about the dream that he had Friday night of Parshas Bishalach, where Eliyohu Hanavi came to him and asked him the following question. Why was the Jewish people only saying Shira once they went through the Yamsuf and experienced that open miracle of the splitting of the sea? Why didn't they sing Shira beforehand? Meaning to say... At that moment in time, when they were trapped between the sea and the Egyptian army, and they had no way out, they had no havamina, they had no option as to how it would be possible to somehow get out of this alive. But if you have real bitachon, you have real reliance on Hashem, what do you do right now? You sing, because you have the confidence that Hashem will come through in some way. I can't tell you how, but I know it will happen. So why didn't they sing? This was the question that was posed by Eliyahu Navi to the author of the Birchas Avram. His name was Avram Trivish. So he writes that I thought about the question carefully and I answered Eliyahu Navi by telling him likely the majority of the Jewish people were not on that level of belief and faith. And therefore, if Moshe would have started to sing before the miracle actually occurred, he wouldn't have had that same involvement of everyone joining along with him. He'd be singing alone. It would be like a solo. Nobody wants to sing alone. You want people to sing along with you. So because the majority of the Jewish people were not on that level, he only waited until after everyone experienced that open miracle of the splitting of the Yamsuf. At that point, the Aminu Ba'ashem of Moshe Avdo, they had a higher level of faith. Oz Yashir, then he sang. So he records in the dream that Eliyoh Novi was shasak, he was silent for a moment, but then Kibil Chuvasi Basimcha, he accepted my answer with joy. And he came back to me a few days later, and he said, you should know, what you told me is emis lamito. This is truth. So there's so much to delve into, and on Shabbos we, we spent some time on this dream. But, but the one point that I think has relevance to our discussion is the wording of the Berchas of Ram is, the reason why they didn't sing beforehand is because the majority of the Jewish people were not yet ready to sing. The clear implication is that there were a minority of people who were tremendous bali bitachon, and they had that faith. Why didn't Moshe set aside a separate minion for those people? He should have said, and you know, listen, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, 
We're in the Ace Tzorah right now in a very difficult time. Don't worry, Hashem will come through. Um, we're going to have a separate minion over here for those people who are true men and women of faith. We're going to sing now. It's probably better for you to sing now. But obviously the answer is, is that I don't want to split up Klal Yisrael. And ultimately, if we could all sing together after the miracle occurs, even though for the minority, maybe it would have been better for you in a vacuum to sing beforehand. Maybe that would have been more uplifting to really demonstrate and express your bitachon. But if you're doing it by yourself outside of the boundaries, outside of the, the unity of Kalal Yisrael, it's not worth it and likely you're going to be losing out also. We need to sing together. We're going to wait till after Kriyas Yamsuf. <clears throat> Cultivating a sense of responsibility is something that's extremely difficult. It's, it's been difficult all throughout our history. Um, and I think especially in a time where the question is not so much, what is my obligation? What is my moral? What is my spiritual direction? But it's much more of a focus on entitlement of what I deserve, what I can get, how I can work around the system. Nobody likes authority. Nobody likes being told what to do. Technology, in a sense, and it should not be blamed for all the, the struggles we have in life. We've had these struggles for hundreds of years before technology. But creating this division where we all live in our own uh, self-created reality of the news that I listen to, the, the interactions that I have, it's so hard within this world of division to create a real sense of achrayas, of responsibility for each other. I remember reading shortly after 9-11 that there is this fellow, his name was Jason Thomas. He was uh, in the military 27 years old, and he was dropping his daughter off at his mother's house in Long Island the morning of 9-11. When he got there, the article related that his mother shared with him the devastating news that there was a plane that went into one of the Twin Towers, and uh, he immediately went into his trunk. He had his military uniform. He put it on, he had no clue what he was doing or, or where he would go, but got into his uniform and went at top speed directly towards Manhattan. As he was parking, it was just then the North Tower began to collapse. So he, he writes that what was going through my head at the time is that I knew people needed help. When someone needs help, it doesn't matter who it is. I didn't have a plan, but I had all this training as a Marine, and all I can think about was, my city is in need. That was his mantra, my city is in need. He said that he ran, he found another uh, Marine as well, and together they tried to create a plan, a search and rescue, and they attempted to get a few other people with them. But when they were explaining their basic idea and their strategy, everyone else said that's way too dangerous. The odds of us making it alive are, are very slim. So he went alone with one other fellow, two Marines, 
And for the next five or six days, he went every single day into the rubble with flashlights, wearing a mask, even before masks were in, right? And he was saving lives. For what reason? Not because he knew these people, not because he had any, anything invested here, but in the words of Jason Thomas, my city is in need. That's a secular example, but it's a human example of living with a sense of responsibility. My city is in need. My community is in need. Now, we always have this inner conflict when it comes to the individual and the community. Because on one hand, there's something very special about being somewhat isolated Oftentimes, and many people said this during the pandemic, when we weren't able to come to shul, I heard from many that my davening was so much better. I was davening alone. I could take my time. Rav Salavechik has an essay entitled The Community where he really addresses this, uh, this inner conflict of expanding oneself and trying to connect with Hashem individually and at the same time, being part of something greater than myself, being part of a seaboard. He says, the ancient controversy between collectivism and individualism is something that has been debated over the centuries. But Judaism rejects both alternatives. Neither theory per se is true. Both experiences, that of aloneness as well as that of togetherness, are inseparable. Basic elements of the I awareness. Meaning to say that for me to really grow as a human being, to maximize my potential, I need both. I need to have a sense of aloneness, that I'm not being mavatal, I'm not nullifying myself to the community, but I'm, I'm trying to, to expand myself. But at the same time, we need to be part of something greater than ourselves. Salavechik writes, in fact, the greatness of man manifests itself in his inner contradiction, in his being single and unrelated to anyone, as well as in his being thou-related and belonging to a community structure. It's that very contradiction that makes us, us so incredibly unique. There is no one in the world that's like me. There never was, there never will be. I'm not related to anybody. Biologically, I am. I have my family, I have my friends. But every neshama is a different neshama. There is nobody like me before. There will never be another neshama that's the same as mine. Each individual possesses something rare, which is unknown to others. Each individual has a unique message to communicate, a special color to add to the communal spectrum. Hence, when lonely man joins the community, he adds a new dimension to the community awareness. He contributes something which no one else could have ever contributed. He is irreplaceable. Right? There's a line that's said sometimes in companies, listen, you do good work, we appreciate everything, but everyone's replaceable. Sheker v'chazov, that is not true. Nobody's replaceable. It could be someone else could do the job that you're doing, but no one could replace you. The originality and the creativity in man are rooted in his loneliness experience, not in his social awareness. Social man is often superficial. He imitates, he emulates, like we've been speaking about the ladies here. 
Lonely man is profound. He creates. He's original. When the I becomes aware of his being responsible for the well-being of the thou, a new community emerges, what Rav Soloveitchik calls a community of prayer. But this means a community of common pain, of common suffering, of common joy and common celebration, where there's a sense of brotherhood, because I'm responsible for you and you're responsible for me. So it's a delicate balance of not losing oneself, not nullifying my identity to the greater good, but contributing who I am to the greater good, thereby creating something that's more powerful than just the sum of its parts. I want to end by sharing with you part of the eulogy that David Amelech said regarding Shaul. This is source number 18 from uh, Shmuel. That David writes, or he said, Shaul and Yonason, his son, they were beloved and cherished in their life. And in their death, they were never separated. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Explains the Malbim. What exactly was David saying that, that Shoal and Yonason, this father and son, they were never separated? The Malbim says that sometimes in war, you might have the most well-trained army in the world with the highest level technology and equipment but you could still lose. Not because of a lack of prowess, a lack of strategy, but you could lose if there's a lack of love and responsibility for each other. If I don't feel the encouragement and the support of the soldier who's next to me, then I'm not the same fighter. I might not be as well trained. I might not be as strong as they are. We might not have all of the equipment. We might not have the numbers. But if there's a sense of camaraderie, there's a sense of achtus and unity, where I feel your support, we could fight anybody. Explains the Malbim. Sometimes even the great warriors fall when there's lack of love between them. And they're not able to support and help each other. That they're not crying out to their fellow soldier, be strong, be brave. But you should know, and this is what David Melech was saying, this father and son, they were connected. They loved each other when they were alive. And even Bemosam Lo Nifrodu, in their death, they did not separate. They were encouraging each other the entire time until the fatal blow. That's the power of a tzibor. That's the power of a community. The, the Sefer Achinach writes, when he's explaining the mitzvah of blowing the shofar the 50th year, 50th year of Yovel, we let all of the Avadim free. Slaves go back to their, their homeland. Why do we have to blow the shofar? So explains the Sefer Chinuch. Because for every single individual, it's a very hard time. 
having to let go of property, having to let go of possessions, having people who've been working for you for so many years, all of that is being lost. All of that is going away. Everything that you worked so hard to create, nothing. So how do we comfort ourselves? How do we encourage ourselves? Explains the Sefer Chinuch. We blow the shofar. Because then by the coal shofar, by that sound permeating all of our hearts going throughout the land, we come to realize that I'm not alone in this. I'm not in isolation. We're all going through this struggle together. And just like I'm losing, they're also losing. And it's not that I'm happy that they have to go through my struggle, but I feel a sense of support and I feel strength that we're going through it together. In the words of the Sefer Echinuch, there is nothing that can be mechazik the lave, that could strengthen the heart like Maisa Harabim, like the involvement of the masses. Right? The difference between watching the ball game, sitting by yourself on the couch with a bag of potato chips, versus being at the stadium pre-COVID where there were actually fans in the bleachers, you could be there with 80,000 people all cheering together. It's a very different experience. That's why we blow the shofar. That I should realize I, the owner of the property or the avadim, we're all going through this together. And if I'm the evid, I'm the one who's been working for this family for so many years. And I said, Ahaftiyas Adoni, I want to be here because they treat me so well. And now I have to go. That also strengthens me. Everyone's leaving now. Everyone's going home. Everyone's leaving their comfort zone. But I'm more comfortable because I'm doing it with you. The goal of a community or the difference that a tzibur, the status of a community has in contrast to a group of Jews living together may not be recognizable from a third party, from an onlooker. But the difference is what we're able to create together. If I approach this community, any community, as a way of having what I need, we all need kosher Chinese food, that, that's posh, we need that to survive, we need sushi, right? We, we need the basic amenities to thrive, maybe a mikvah, kolel, maybe... These are things that we need. But those are all means to an end. The end is not what the community to, can give to me, to borrow the cliche quote from JFK, but what I can give to the community. Not for the community by sacrificing myself, but if I'm living with a sense of what I can give, what I can contribute, then I'm expanding myself through the community. Like Rav Soloveitchik told us, I'm tapping into that inner contradiction between the need for being alone and an individual and unique with the power that comes forth from being together and supported and making sure to support you as well. And this is where Shalom comes from. The greatest blessing of all is not when we're living together, pursuing our own needs, because then, like the Chassam Sofer told us, Kedoshim Tiyu means we need to be kola das b'nei Yisrael. Theoretically, nowadays, nobody goes to the Midbar. We're not moving out to the middle of nowhere. Then we wouldn't have Chinese food. We're living in Jewish communities. 
That's what firm Jews do. But it's possible to be living in your own psychological midbar in the middle of the five towns. It's possible to be living in your own forest in the middle of Brooklyn. That's not what a community is. That's self-service. That means my, my entire spirituality, my avodas Hashem, can be more about convenience and comfort than it is about transcendence. Shalom comes from transcendence, working together. We don't have to be similar, but we have to have that same shared vision. A true zebra, like the words of Chaim Shmuel Levis told us, is that it's a metzias chadasha, it's a new reality. The community is a microcosm of the Jewish people, and therefore, like Rav Hirsch taught us, the mission of Klal Yisrael, that you should be mamleches, kohanim, v'goy kadosh, we should be teachers of the world to uplift and inspire others. That's true within every community as well. And when we share that vision together, then it's not about giving orders and gathering the wood and dividing the work. It's about teaching ourselves to yearn for the vast and endless deep blue sea. The strength of the community is not measured in quantity, it's not measured in numbers, it's measured in commitment in achrayas. The power of the community, when we have this, we have this new reality, we could accomplish anything. Because even if we're not giburim, we're not strong warriors by ourselves, together, feeling the love and the support, we could accomplish more than we could ever do alone. And this brings that, that ultimate blessing of Shalom. I want to end by quoting the Zohar. This is Zohar that I've quoted now for probably eight years, but one of the most powerful ideas to keep in mind in any community discussion. You could have one little, tiny, run-down shul in the middle of nowhere. People are not visiting during a yeshiva break. No one comes to your little shul. No one's heard of your little shul. You don't even have a website that works. However, if this tiny little shul is shomrim midas hashalom boy, they're able to maintain and hold on to the quality of peace as is appropriate. Then yecholim lezakos lebias mashiach that one shul, regardless of what the rest of Klal Yisrael is doing, we daven for every member of Klal Yisrael. That's the Lushan Rabbim. We incorporate everyone into our prayers. But regardless of what's happening out there in the world, this one little schnooky shul can bring Mashiach. Im Kain, says the Zohar. If so, the bringing of Mashiach is dependent on us. We can transform the world. We can bring Geula without having to change millions of people. If we could just focus on changing ourselves, midas hashalom kedeboy, with a feeling of love and responsibility, this could bring the geula. See that we should be zocha to see that very soon. Thank you.